0: Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911,
1: what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha.
2: In the US, trans women of color have a
0: life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on
1: a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here.
0: It- These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is a hateful homicide. The murder of Nikki Kuhnhausen. The Snapchat sling. Thursday, June 6th, 2019, Vancouver, Washington, morning. The following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised.
3: So our victim in this case is Nicholas or Nikki Kuhnhausen. Born July 6th of 2001. Uh, Nikki was living with friends in an apartment on Bram Road. Uh, we received a report on June 10th of this year by her mother, Lisa Woods, and we were told that Nikki was missing and rarely went more than a day without contacting her mother. Um, through interviews with roommates and mom, detectives learned that Nikki left. Residence on June 5th. She returned early in the morning on June 6th and left again a few hours later with the mail she reportedly met earlier that evening or the, or the night before. Uh, there were no further contacts or sightings of Nikki since that time. Members of the Missing Person Unit and Digital Evidence Unit obtained social media information on Nikki. They author warrants for her social media and using added information, David Bogdanov was identified as a person who picked her up at that residence. In attempting to contact Mr. Bogdanov, a number of family members were contacted, and social media was utilized to try and attempt contact. Detectives were eventually able to contact Mr. Bogdanov. He confirmed in a meeting with him that he had picked Nikki up at the apartment that morning. David and Nikki went to a residence in the county and at this time, David says Nikki told him that he was, she was biologically male. Uh, David gave a statement that, that made him really, really uncomfortable and disturbed him. And he asked Nikki to get out of his van and she walked away. According to David, that was the last time she was seen. More investigative information came in. Um, showed a number of inconsistencies with the statement that he made to detectives. Um, and as we worked that case, we caught probably the biggest break. When a citizen on December 7th of this year, walking in the large mountain area, came across the human skull, Clark County deputies arrived and confirmed the findings and called out Clark County Search and Rescue conducted an extensive search of the area over two days and collected uh, a number of items of evidence and human remains. should be noted that that area is extremely steep, heavily wooded, and a lot of underbrush. And they really did an amazing job of collecting all that evidence for us. Over the next week, analysis was done on those items along with the forensic examination of the remains. And with that information, we were able to confirm the remains to be into that. Uh, based on the location of the remains and the earlier obtained evidence, uh, detectives decided to attempt a second interview with David. We attempted contact with him yesterday, and he uh, declined to, to give any further statements.
0: It's Thursday, June 6th, 2019, in the city of Vancouver, Washington, It would be the home where 17-year-old transgender female, Nikki Kuhnhausen, would reside. And unfortunately, by that afternoon, she would disappear. Her friends, family, and loved ones all knew that it was unlike Nikki to go without contact for more than a day. And by that Friday, June 7th of 2019, her mother, Lisa Woods, officially became concerned And that Monday, June 10th of 2019, Nikki was officially reported missing. Detective Paul Ramirez of the Clark County Sheriff's Department really took this case very seriously. Understanding that Nikki identified as a trans teen, a trans youth, just one month shy of her 18th birthday, a senior in high school would abruptly and just randomly disappear. Without notice. So, this case was taken very seriously, my audience. Welcome. Thank you all so much for joining in on season three, episode seven of this hateful homicide of Nikki Kuhnhausen, this beautiful 17 year old trans teen whose life was cut short. You know, and as we delve into this case, it's really important that we understand how important Nikki's case has galvanized the transgender movement, the gender non-binary movement, as well as the intersex movement. As we continue to go through this case, we're gonna hear a little bit from the convicted killer of Nikki, um, 25-year-old cisgendered male, David Boganov and then we're also gonna hear how governor Jay Inslee of the state of Washington signed into effect affect Nikki's law and how that has really um, gained a huge support for our community and so while this case has a tragic turn of events with the hateful homicide of Nikki Kuhnhausen Through Her Hateful Homicide, my audience, there has been this growth of visibility and awareness around the violence that's faced by our communities on the hands of a lot of cis men. And when this happens, and especially as we've covered for three seasons now, where we've had perpetrators essentially say that they responded because they felt that their lives were in danger, that they murdered, committed the hateful homicides of these trans and gender non-binary and non-conform and intersex community members simply because they were afraid for their own lives. This panic defense that we've heard far too often. Well, with David Boganov pleading the same thing, stating that he too was in fear of his life, on that Thursday, June 6th of 2019. All of this led to what would be considered Nikki's Law, which would mean that individuals who would cry the trans panic defense, it would no longer be a defense in the state of Washington. But first, my audience, let's delve into this case and go back into this crazy case of attraction, of lust, of sex, and then all of a sudden, discovery and murder. It all began on that Wednesday, June 5th of 2018. 17-year-old transgender teen Nikki Kuhnhausen had been communicating with 25-year-old cisgender male David Boganoff. The two had met on the app Snapchat and had begun coordinating conversations around meeting. And that's what they did on that Wednesday. Initially, the two hit it off. Um, him, his friend Stanley, and Nikki all hung out. They had some vodka, you know, just was pretty much um, just enjoying what was really for Nikki beginning um, her summer right, her summer into her senior year. And so Nikki's wanting to kick back. She meets this cute older guy, eight years her, her senior, and he seems cool and edgy has the alcohol and Nikki who had been living with roommates um, close to her mother Lisa Woods but like any mother and daughter relationship sometimes you just need your space and so that's what Nikki and Lisa were doing living um separately but still had a very close bond and so Nikki and David Um, had decided to meet on on that June 5th and again continue to have a you know great evening Nikki returns home around the early morning hours of that Thursday June 6th and then by that afternoon David had reached out to her again for I guess an additional meet and greet and Nikki who you know seemed impressed with David's bad boy behavior he had this history of you know breaking and entering and petty theft so she was intrigued by this you know kind of older mysterious bad boy um, who was essentially just giving her a good time well she leaves back out by that afternoon on June 6th 2018 And that is the last time she's seen and heard from. Again, my audience, Nikki's mother, Lisa, though they weren't living together, she was very close to her daughter and loved her child and knew that this was completely uncharacteristic of Nikki to just disappear without any kind of communication, without... Uh, some kind of notification of where she was going to be going and her roommates as Lisa you know from that June 7th until she reported Nikki missing on June 10th had been reaching out to her roommates asking questions like where was Nikki who was Nikki last seen with and of course the her, her roommates who respected Nikki's independence didn't really know who Nikki was meeting off of Snapchat, but they did know that she had met someone off of Snapchat, a cis man, and that um, the two had hit it off on Wednesday and then reconnected again on Thursday. And since then, she hasn't been seen. So by that Monday of June 10th, You know, Lisa goes to the Clark County Sheriff's Department to report her daughter missing. And again, Detective Paul uh, Ramirez was incredible with taking this case very seriously. Him and his team, as well as the entire Clark County Sheriff's Department, all worked tirelessly on assuring that this case was going to get some type of resolution. They were able to contact Nikki's cell phone provider. And that is where they were able to retrieve her cellular data and uncover the contacts that she had. And the most recent one was that of 25-year-old cisgendered male, David Boganov. When they reached out to him, he admitted that he was the individual who had met with Nikki on that Wednesday, June 5th, as well as that Thursday afternoon of June 6th. And he stated that when he reconnected with her the second time, just him and her, that she confided in the middle of intercourse that she was transgendered and he became uncomfortable, quote unquote, and this resulted in him asking Nikki to get out of his work then. According to David, Nikki complied, she got out, and that was the last time he saw and or spoke to Nikki. According to David, she left alive. Well, Detective Paul Ramirez and his team only had David's word to go off of. And they continued to search and missing persons reports and flyers. And it even went to her incredible Dateline as they're missing um, persons cases as well. Really highlighting the fact that this beautiful 17 year old trans teen who was just one month shy of her 18th birthday would just suddenly disappear according to the last person who saw her alive after just getting out of his van and walking off. When Lisa, Nikki's mother, heard David's account, she immediately became suspicious. She knew that if her daughter, if this was the sequence of events that had happened, that Nikki would have immediately contacted her or her roommates. And so the fact that Nikki, who was known for reaching out if she needed help, um, did not do that, that didn't seem to ring true to Lisa. And she was really insistent, it was her mother's intuition, that this guy, that Nikki met on Snapchat, was somehow more involved in her disappearance. And so, Detective Ramirez and his team continued to poke and prod, and they, you know, did cellular analysis in David's phone, and they uncovered a series of messages, and really, peculiar behavior starting around June 7th of 2019. So when Nikki disappeared the day before, David had texted one of his friends, the same friend that he had, um, that he had hung out with um, and Nikki as well on June 5th. He asked his friend to get rid of his workman and that he was going to be taken off to the Ukraine, one way, and he wasn't returning. Detective Ramirez found that to be very suspicious considering the fact that David, who was a native of Vancouver, Washington, and who had a life and job in Vancouver, Washington, would all of a sudden, just one day after Nikki Kuhnhausen disappears, purchases a one-way plane ticket to the Ukraine and then asks his friend to get rid of his work van. Well, David didn't stay gone for too long because around July of 2019, just a little over five weeks after Nikki disappeared, he returns to Vancouver, Washington and continues life as usual when he returns, this is when Detective Ramirez and his team were able to then question David Bobanoff, and they wanted to know, right, this individual who had this whole life in Vancouver, why would he suddenly just leave for six weeks? So... As David is returning from the Ukraine, he's now pulled into the Clark County Sheriff's Department interrogation room. He's been interrogated initially just as a person of interest. Um, but again, those questions become a little bit more direct in terms of why is he leaving so soon after Nikki's disappearance? Why is it that he's now returning six weeks later after Nikki's disappearance? And so they wanted answers to these questions essentially, and David's answer was that he just needed some time away. He, you know, it was the summer. He had been working um, as a plumber um, for at least several years and so he had earned some vacation. And with him having, you know, his ancestry being from the Ukraine, he wanted to go and visit. And that was his reasoning for leaving, that it had nothing to do with Nikki's disappearance, that it was all a coincidence. Innocent enough, right, my audience? Well, all of that would change when on Saturday, December 7th, 2019, a hiker in the large mountain woods discovered a human skull and called the Clark County Sheriff's Department they came out their forensics team analysis team all were able to do um, some you know forensic analysis they had dental records uh, of Nikki Kuhnhausen on the you know presumption that this could be her as she was one of the only few missing individuals in Clark County in 2019. So, um, Lisa Woods was able to get those dental records. Unfortunately, um, Nikki had just went to the dentist. Her Nikki, who was known for her beautiful smile and, and was very careful with taking care of her smile, um, had just went to the dentist several months prior to her disappearance. And so they were able to um, compare those x-ray records and it was a match. And so again, by that, Monday, by that December 10th, you have Detective Paul Ramirez questioning David Bogdanoff again, especially when they were able to take the GPS from David's work vet and ping it to the exact location in Large Mountain. By that January of 2020, just two months before the global pandemic known as COVID-19, David Bakunov was officially charged with second-degree murder and malicious harassment, and um, it would take, you know, just over a year uh, for him to go to trial and for him to receive a sentence of 19 years. That sentence would be indicted and convicted on September 9th of 2021. You know, my audience, as we continue to go through this case, I want to take a moment and just shift gears. We're going to hear a little bit from the the accused and the convicted, David Bacchanoff, but then also hear um, just how the incredible show 48 Hours really highlighted um, Nikki's case and also highlighting the state of Washington for, and then the kudos out to them for Nikki's law and how all of that came to be in that process. So again, a lot of um, additional information coming up, but I wanted to just shift gears and talk about Nikki and who she was to her friends, her loved ones, and most importantly, her mother. Nikki was born on July 6th of 2001 in Vancouver, Washington, the daughter of Lisa Woods and Nick Kuhnhausen. And unfortunately, Nikki, you know, succumbed to this hateful homicide that that Thursday and we're gonna get into the details um, as David did ultimately confess and and provided again as I mentioned earlier his own panic defense to the case. But for now we want to remember Nikki for how she lived. Nikki was an avid lover of hip-hop, she loved makeup and cosmetology her goal was to become the makeup artist for rapper Nicki Minaj. You got it, Nicki Minaj, her namesake. She also aspired to be on America's Next Top Model. That stuck out to me because, you know, as you all know, I've been in my gender journey for 16 years and part of my inspiration for being empowered in my truth was actually watching the Tower Bank Show. Um, in 2006, and seeing, seeing Isis King, uh, as, as far as I knew at that time, the, the only trans woman, and, and she was the openly trans contestant on America's Next Top Model. So that was how I became inspired in my truth, and to know that Nikki wanted to be a contestant herself, and you know, pay homage to Isis as well, and another trans sister who was on America's Next Top Model that just also um, stuck out to me and also showed the visibility that Nikki had. Nikki had began her gender journey very early, um, probably five years prior to her hateful homicide, actually around 2013, 2014, just around the age of 12 when she was in the sixth grade and Nikki disclosed to her mom and her dad and her family that she was trans her family was very supportive in her gender journey and lisa who speaks highly about nikki and their love story as mother and daughter how she quickly embraced nikki how she lovingly held on to nikki and though they would have these you know mother and daughter verbal tussles the love was always there unconditionally and effortlessly And so that is how come Lisa knew, call it her mother's intuition, that something was wrong by that Friday, June 7th of 2019, and unfortunately seven, excuse me, six months to the day when Lisa had that gut feeling that something was terribly wrong, her daughter's skeletal remains would be found in Large Mountain, Large Mountain, in Vancouver, Washington, You know, my audience, when we go into this case a little bit further, once David Balganoff was finally apprehended and charged with second-degree murder on January 13th of 2020, Detective Paul Ramirez and his team wanted to understand how did this hateful homicide, how did this Snapchat slaying occur? And David had a very interesting story to tell. One of the things that he stated in his interview was that he discovered Nikki's gender identity. And as a result, he questioned her. He got angry, the two argued. He stated that Nikki discovered his gun and she reached for it. And when she did, he took his cell phone charger, placed it around Nikki's neck, Wrapped it several times and held tightly until Nikki's body went limp. And according to him, his justification was that it was self defense. Nikki was reaching for the gun, and what was he supposed to do? He had to defend himself. As you can hear now. Sorry for interrupting your commute this morning. Um
1: before I say anything to you about what we stopped before, I wanted you I want to read you the rights to make sure you read it. Okay. Um, You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. If you have the right at this time to talk to a lawyer and to have him present with you while you're being questioned. If you cannot afford to hire a lawyer, one will be appointed to represent you before any questioning if you wish. You can decide any time to exercise these rights and not answer any questions or any statements. Do you understand those rights? Uh, you and I spoke before, and I not think you recall that. Um, we spoke about Nikki Kuhnhausen. And, uh, that's what we're here to talk to you about today. Okay? Uh, when we spoke to you last time, I don't know if you recall the whole conversation. Um, but you said that you, you met her earlier in the evening, met her downtown. Um, hung out with her for a while. Uh, drank some vodka together and gave her a coat and then she went home and then you met her again later. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Yeah. Okay. What you told us at the time was that you, uh, you and Stan went back to Archer's house at Paragon 14. and you needed your band because you are going to go to work and Stan you needed know, to take his van to his job, right? And at that time um, was when Nikki told you that I think he was really a heath and that's when you're like I I'm not I'm going going this. into this and kicked her out of the van, sent her on her way. Okay. Um then after that you said that you went so you said you were gonna go to Go to work Stance you were said you were gonna go to a Stance job site? No, I went to my other brother. Okay. Oh your other brother is job site? E line. okay so you're gonna to go to his job site, but then you ended up. You're gonna to go to your job site. You ended up just staying at his job site. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's not like you said that you were gonna to go to your job I site. Yeah, you went to work. Yeah, you went to work. Okay. Um, what got us here today is I want to talk to you about a, a trip that you took before you went to the job site. So before we before we go on, he's basically summarized everything that you guys talked about. Uh, is there anything about that? Is there anything that you want to revise before we continue on? So at the time that we talked, I didn't have uh, the benefit of all of your your phone records, okay? But, But now there's been some additional analysis done, okay? So you left, your phone left Archer's house and then went east I'll pass large mail. That truck took about an hour round trip from Rogers' house, past Arch Mountain, up some logging roads, and back again. You didn't just go to work, did you? You didn't go on to work. It's suppose you did. I don't want to. You didn't go on to work. Okay, all right. So understand that you're being arrested today for the murder of the Hansen whose remains have been discovered, okay? Who was strangled to death, okay? So we're going to put you back in handcuffs, okay. Stand up for please. You ask me additional questions because you know what you're right to answer. Okay. That is what's going to happen today. So. All right. Sit down. So, sit down here. And we are going to finish doing some paperwork. Have some other things you need to do. Maybe a little while. Okay. We may put you in a temporary holding cell for a bit. Get you some something to drink. You're probably going to be here for a little while. And then you're going to be booked.
0: All right. And that all occurred on January 13th of 2020, my audience, when detective Paul Ramirez and his team with the cellular phone data and analysis was able to present that they had his phone pinging in Large Mountain on June 6th of 2019. This was seven months after the hateful homicide of Nikki Kuhnhausen and just over a month after her badly decomposed body was discovered in Large Mountain, her skeletal remains. And the only reason why they were able to discover that Nikki had been strangled to death was because of the fact that the cell phone charger cord was still connected to the skull verifying David Bogganoff's story. Again, David Boganoff was ultimately convicted of second-degree murder and malicious harassment on Thursday, September 9th of 2021 just a little over a year and a half after this interview and his subsequent arrest. Well, even though David is now serving 19 and a half years and he has been indicted on a hate crime charge with the malicious harassment indictment as well, all of this led to Lisa Woods, the mother of Nikki Kuhnhausen, continuously fighting for justice. So, In January of 2020, David Bobinoff was arrested for the hateful homicide, the Snapchat slaying of Nikki Kuhnhausen. Just two months later, just right into the beginning of the COVID pandemic, Governor Jay Inslee created Nikki's Law. And this law was created to, again, prevent individuals like David Bobinoff These cowards, these individuals who will murder trans folks and then say that it was their fault for their own hateful homicides. Governor Jay Isley was really pivotal, as well as Lisa was, in making sure that Nikki's Law came into effect. And so my audience as we uh, continue to go into this case and slowly start to wrap up, I wanted to share with you just the incredible context into just the justice for Nikki um, by her mother, by her loved ones, as well as the state of Washington who affirmed Nikki's truth and affirmed the fact that what David Bobanoff did um, was horrendous and that Nikki's day nikki's law should go into effect
2: people across the country 2021 was the deadliest year on record for these groups according to the human rights campaign at least 50 transgender and non-binary people were killed over this past year in tomorrow's episode of 48 hours jamie Yucas takes a closer look at how the 2019 murder of one transgender teen in vancouver washington inspired the creation of a law aimed at preventing these types of crimes Here's a special
4: preview. 17-year-old Nikki Kuhnhausen was like most teens, itching to take on life. Friend Ariel Fox. She was just like, oh, I'm unstoppable. Down for adventures. (laughs) Her mother, Lisa Wood, says it was around sixth grade that Nikki made her gender identity public. So she started dressing as herself. As a woman, young woman, as a young woman. What's your name? My name, Nick. Where you from? And Nikki already had her sights set on her dream job. She wanted
0: to be Nikki Minaj's hair and makeup artist.
4: But in June 2019, Nikki
0: disappeared. That first day, I took her sweatshirt and I made it into a pillowcase and I slept with her picture. And my
4: Six months later, Nikki's remains were found on nearby Large Mountain. Clinical social worker Devin Davis-Williamson is a transgender activist. When trans people go missing, they're usually found deceased. A recent UCLA law school study concluded transgender people are four times more likely than non-transgender people to become victims of violent crime. The American Medical Association has called it an epidemic of violence.
3: A transgender woman was found shot and killed over the weekend.
4: In December 2019, police arrested 25-year-old David Bogdana for Nikki's murder. But Nikki's death? would not be in vain.
1: I'm happy to sign this bill.
4: Washington state has since passed Nikki's Law, which prevents defendants charged with violent crimes from relying on a victim's gender identity or sexual orientation as a defense of their actions.
0: I want her death to mean something to someone who may contemplate hurting another transgender person.
2: Jamie, you guys joins us now to talk a little bit more about her reporting. Jamie, it's great to have you here. How did police find the man who killed Nikki? So
4: it's really fascinating, right? We all are on social media now. Nikki was very prominent on Snapchat. She loved taking videos of herself, doing these TikTok demonstrations of makeup and that kind of thing. And it turns out that the man who uh, is involved in this case, that the two of them ended up having these Snapchat conversations. And so detectives uh, were able to go back and look at who she was speaking to and found one person in particular uh, that she was speaking with the, the day that she disappeared. And that's where they really started to hone in on who they believed their suspect was.
2: Wow. And then what happened to the man accused
4: of murdering her? So it's really interesting, right? His name is David Bogdanoff, and he uh, ended up taking the stand in his defense, which is really unusual, right? We don't usually see defendants getting up in murder cases specifically and giving their testimony as to what they say happened. He was very adamant about his side of the story, what he says happened. And you're going to be able to hear that testimony tomorrow night on 48 hours, which, uh, you know, the prosecution, and then tried to really uh, tear apart and go in on. Uh, but he was very adamant about his side of the story and the defense really tried to persuade uh, the jury in this case that that you know that this was a struggle between uh, these two individuals and that that really Nikki uh, potentially could have been the person who uh, attacked him. So you're gonna hear it in his own words, which I will tell you uh, are, is very
2: fascinating. So I hope you'll tune in and, and hear that yourself you know they are always 48 hours just such an excellent job it's always such such interesting case and this is a case that is sort of beyond goes beyond just the case um nikki's body was discovered approximately two years ago um why do the story now is it important why was it important to do the story now well, uh, David Bogdanoff was actually on trial
4: just this past summer, and one of the things that came out uh, at, through this case was, as we talked about a little bit in the piece that you uh, were listening to, was that there was a new law enacted in Washington state uh, because of this case specifically. So when you go ahead and you start diving into it, there is something called the gay or trans panic defense, that a number of states still have that law on the books, that if someone discovers that someone uh, is gay or trans, that they... Have this sudden loss of uh, you know consciousness that they they go into, um, and that they potentially use that as a defense in in hurting or even killing someone. Uh, Washington state says, no, 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 uh, we are gonna pass Nikki's law. It was passed back in March of 2020 uh, in that state where this this particular uh, crime occurred. And since then, six other states have followed suit, including Colorado, DC, Virginia, Vermont, Oregon, and Maryland. Uh, So, you know, in this case, Nikki's mother in particular really wanted Nikki's legacy uh, to continue on and mean something, especially to the gay and trans community. And so this is one way she feels uh, that her daughter's memory can
2: continue on in a positive way and have a positive impact. Now, Nikki was obviously a big personality and I can't imagine um, how altered life has been without her. You sit down with her family and friends. How are they doing? You know, I can tell you, her mother is hurting very, very badly. She's
4: not doing uh, well when we spoke with her. And as you can imagine, as any mother uh, who has been through something like this, they had a very, very special bond. And, you know, Nikki's mother talks about that extensively, that she felt at times that Nikki mothered her more than maybe she mothered Nikki. Um, She misses her daughter every day. You'll hear, you know, some of the pain as we speak with her. Um, She actually carries Nikki with her, um, you know, in a necklace, uh, everywhere she goes and and it, it, it was very hard to speak with her. She's she's really struggling with the loss of her daughter and she's somebody who really embraced Nikki for who she was, loved her daughter so much, says, you know, it was one of those things that Nikki at a very young age knew who she was, her brothers embraced her, her mother embraced her, her father embraced her, and they all celebrated her. Uh, you can see her as a little girl here with the wig on uh, that a babysitter brought over. That She uh, told, the, the mother told me a story about how uh, when Nikki was living that she wanted she broke her arm and she wanted a pink cast Uh, so Nikki always knew who she was and and part of that uh, some of the activists tell me and some of her friends is why they believe potentially she was targeted because she was just so confident in who she was and um, you know really loved herself for who she was.
0: To my beautiful sister Nikki Kuhnhausen born July 6, 2001 and resting on since June 6th of 2019. We remember you, love book. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Thank you all so much, my audience, for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide, Season 3, Episode 7, The Murder of Nikki Kuhnhausen, Snapchat Slay. We're going to be taking a little mid-season break for several weeks, but we will be returning to... Finish up season three um, with quite a few more episodes coming soon. Thank you all for your continued support. Please um, check out our website at a You can follow us on Instagram at a hateful homicide. You can follow me, your host, at Mallory Jenna 90. Please continue to use the hashtags a hateful homicide, trans awareness, true crime podcast. Suspenseful Saturdays say their names again. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye bye.